was a very bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keelior, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a lot to talk about today. I know sometimes in the offseason people are like, what do you talk about on Tunnel Vision? Well, we have a lot. A lot has gone down in the last week for USC. We're going to talk about a commit that USC picked up a five-star. Well, so we'll talk about what that means for USC's recruiting class. They also had a decommitment, so we'll get into that. We'll give you the latest on USC search for uh, offensive line coach, what we're hearing on that, and then more coaching movement. John David Baker, USC's tight ends coach, there's a report that he will be moving on, so we'll get into that. And you know you want to hear Ryan talk about Larry Scott. Larry Scott and the Pac-12 are parting way, so we'll get into that. Isaiah Pullamau. Bye-bye. yes. Not going bye-bye is Isaiah Pullamau. He's coming no. back for 2021. And then if we have time, if it's not 9 p.m. by the time we get through that, we can also maybe have a basketball minute. Shotgun, I know you are, are ready for one. I know Ryan is not, but we no. might get into that. But like I said, guys, we have a lot to talk about. I believe we are live on all three platforms, YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. Uh, we are monitoring your comments, put your comments, questions, and concerns. We'll be sure to do our best to answer them. And like always, you can tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen. Then you can also call us 512-4-TUNNEL. Our intern, Micah, is standing by to talk to y'all and screen your questions. We love talking to you guys. But like I said, guys. Hey, shout out to Periscope. We got like 100 people already hey, on Periscope. Thanks. And Periscope's going away in like a in couple months, months or something. Know, yeah, crazy. I'm so sad. We'll, we're figuring out if we can do the Twitter live thing, but. Thanks for being on the Periscope, people. Yeah. I'm, I'm watching your your comments. Yeah, that's Ryan's domain over there. So make sure you give him some grief on, on Periscope. Uh, but like I said, guys, a lot to talk about. Let's first start off with USC picking up a big commitment over the weekend. 2022 five-star composite quarterback, Damani Jackson. I guess first off, Shotgun, what does this mean for USC and who are they getting in Damani? Uh, another you know high-end cornerback. This is another guy that USC. The one area where they've really done well is, is you know keeping those local cornerbacks home over the last pretty much decade. You know when they had those high-end guys, whether it be Adoree Jackson or Iman Marshall, even Jack Jones initially uh, being at USC. Damani Jackson is another guy that fits in that mold. You know the number one cornerback in the class right now in the 2022 class. Modern day kids, so you keep that pipeline going as well. You know, Miller Moss was there briefly, but you also, you're looking at Rajon Davis as a guy they're trying to finish with the 2021 class. 
Kyron Ware Hudson, another modern day guy, to go along with the Amon Ross St. Browns and JT Daniels and those guys. So, you know, you're keeping that pipeline going, but you get a big, physical, fast cornerback. He has all the attributes you could want from an NFL cornerback right now. Does he have the technique? Does he have all the things down to be an NFL guy now? No, I'm not saying that. But he has the size, speed, and ability uh, that you're looking for. You just got to be able to coach that up. And, you know, he's a guy that can get handsy at times, but he's not as quite as grabby as some of the West Coast cornerbacks normally are because he can use his frame, his body, but also his speed. Uh, that He doesn't have to be the same way. So he's, he's a little bit different than some of the other guys. Um, he's, he's a little bit of a combination of an Adoree Jackson with the speed-wise with the size of an Iman Marshall. Now, I'm not saying that he's as good as either one of those guys coming out of high school. Uh, he still has a year. He's still just a junior. But he has that rare combination, combination of size and speed that you really look for if you're a defensive back coach. And again, Dante Williams going and, and locking up one of the top players in Southern California for the second, second class in a row, even though the 2021 class is not completed yet. Yeah, I was about to say, Ryan, we talk about uh, USC's mantra of taking back the West. They've signed Corey Foreman, who was the number one player in California for the 2021 class. And now 2022, Damani Jackson is the number one player in California. He just commits to USC. What does that mean about USC's recruiting ability and what they're building? Well, I mean, you have to have good recruiters on your staff. Uh, to, there's always the argument, does USC recruit itself? I mean, there's a lot of factors that help USC recruit when things are up and they're down, whatever. Having all that tradition, all of that helps. But if you have tireless, relentless recruiters like Dante Williams on the staff, that certainly helps things. And this has his fingerprints uh, all over it. It's uh, you know it's a great get for USC. Uh, you know having seeing Oregon get the top players in California for a couple years in a row certainly isn't something that make you know makes USC fans feel good. That's part of the whole take back the West thing. You get Corey Foreman a few weeks ago, and now you get uh, you know Demonte Jackson. I mean that's it's a big deal, and I feel like it's it's important for USC to be there. But he's from modern day. He's a five star corner like. Those are the kind of guys that should just be at USC. And for years, it didn't matter who the coach was. You know, Pete Carroll kind of started things going, and uh, you had, you know, Lane Kiffin would do it, and Steve Sarkeesian would do it. Those guys would just end up at USC. And even earlier on in Clay Helton's tenure, and in a couple of years, that dropped off. And these were like USC type of guys. He is one. Corey Foreman is one. Um, so it's sort of like, you know, when, if you send your kid to school and they come back, you're like, oh, he ate his lunch, he went to all his classes and stuff. Oh, that's great. But that's kind of what you're supposed to do. So, um, you know, it's a big deal to get a five-star player like that. But it's sort of what USC is supposed to do. So it's good for USC to get back on track and do things the way they should be. Because they do have all of those advantages. And, and getting that five-star kid from, from modern day, uh, you, you know, like the Amon Ross St. Browns of the world, like you need to be able to back. You know, they, a couple of years they took off of that. Now it looks like they're back uh, getting those guys. Obviously not signed yet, but... It's a big deal, but something USC should definitely be doing. Yeah. Now, uh, Damani talked to Greg Biggins about why he decided to uh, commit to USC. And one of the things that stood out to me was he said that he wanted to commit early so he can start building the 2022 class. Shaka, what does that say about what USC is, the momentum they have on the recruiting trail in that sense? It, it says that they're definitely moving in the right direction and that you have a leader. When you can get that five-star guy, 
early and he wants to be the guy to lead and say everyone come because you know players high school players they gravitate towards those stars it's the same thing that you see in all kind of forms of uh, walks of life and you know if you have that that main guy that can be your recruiter can say hey i'm the one going to lead the charge you want to come join me and play with me uh you already see it with usc you know is recruiting five-star cornerback will johnson out of michigan he and Damani Jackson have a good relationship already. You know, USC, you know, uh, this week, Vic Soto and Dante Williams were back at it again in the Southeast, you know, throwing out some offers to you know, the number one cornerback in the 2023 class. Another player from Georgia, uh, that was a you know kid from Alabama. Uh, there's another cornerback from Georgia that got an offer that's one of the top 2023 cornerbacks. There's a couple of defensive linemen from Alabama and, and uh, Louisiana that yeah, Vic Soto is giving offers too. So they're they're not stopping and saying, "Whew, we got we got Corey Foreman. Good. This class is done. Whew, we got Demaya Jackson. This class is done." No, they're continuing to build momentum. You see that USC is is locking up the top players in the in Southern California. Now you use that momentum to start going to to a national uh, scale and able to pull in guys like a Will Johnson, uh, you know, a five star guy from Michigan. That's what USC did so well under. Pete Carroll. These guys play with each other in these seven-on-seven tournaments and different things or these different events, these Under Armour camps and whatnot, and they get to know each other and like, yeah, it would be fun to play with that guy. I could, My style really uh, blends well with his or and, and different things like that, So, but you have to start with something, and Corey Foreman was a great place to start. You know, Starting with him and saying, okay, USC serious again about recruiting and USC serious about being a destination, now other players start gravitating towards that. Mm-hmm. Now, we can circle back to Damani if we want to, but before he committed, USC actually had a decommitment. Um, now, I'm going to botch the name, so apologies in advance, but it was four-star linebacker Nuafi Tui Halamaka. Uh, he decommitted. He, I know he talked to Greg Biggins. I think the article came out today about why he de- decommitted. Uh, it seems like his uh, recruitment, he wanted to open it again. An offer from Notre Dame kind of swayed him in that sense. What did you pick up from that, Shotgun? I think it's interesting because when Junior, as everyone knows him as, uh, junior to Halamaka, you know, he's a, a guy from Bishop Alamany. So Miller Moss was there. You got uh, you know, Jalen Smith. Uh, I remember when, you know, before Miller Moss had committed and Junior had committed, I asked him, you know, about the commitment. He said, well, you know, everybody kind of knew that he was going to commit to USC. Um, he's always been a USC fan and stuff. So this is not one where it's like, okay, USC's now out of the running. I think they'll still be in the mix for this. I think he just kind of reevaluated and saw some more offers coming in. Like, and now he says, I want to go through the process. And especially if visits finally open up in April, as is, it looks like the plan will be now for the NCAA, uh, for the dead period to finally end and players to be able to go take some visits. Hey, go around the country and see if you fit somewhere else better. Um, but he's still a, you know, grew up a USC fan, family is USC fan. So USC will definitely still be in the mix for this one. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Ryan, is this something that USC fans should be concerned about? Or is this just a case of recruiting is recruiting and we'll see what happens later down the road? It's a pandemic recruiting thing. <laughs> but, you know, having, you know, Jalen Smith and Miller Moss both being close with them, it, you know, there was a little, you know, it's, it's been committed for almost a year now. So it was a little thing like, oh, that's an interesting one. That's one that you wouldn't expect. Uh, but, you know, you see things maybe potentially start to open up with the vaccine and you get some opportunities to uh, take visits. Plus, he knows those guys and they didn't get to do the kind of recruiting that they would like to do. They didn't get to play, uh, you know, those guys didn't get to play their senior year. Uh, you know, he missed, junior missed out on his, his junior year. And you would like to maybe, hey, I'll get to play this year. Uh, they didn't have their spring football season like the CIF talked about before. That was canceled. Maybe you get to play in the fall. Maybe you get to go take some visits. So, I, you know, makes sense. But 
that was definitely a kid I wasn't expecting uh, you, you, to have a decommit from, but wouldn't be shocked uh, come December if he ends up signing with the USC. Mm-hmm. Now, just to circle back to recruiting on the whole, Shock, and I know our mentions get tagged a lot, so I see what we, we get asked a lot, and it's, why isn't USC recruiting big old linemen and blah, blah, blah? <laughs> and I, we actually forgot the topic because they picked up a uh, wide receiver out of the transfer portal in Katie Nixon this oh, week. Oh, yes. Forgot um, about that So one. much to talk about. Uh, and I know that came up with Katie Nixon is, why are they getting a wide receiver? They have so many guys, but technically don't. But uh, as far as who USC is picking up as commits, are you worried about at all the, the type of player, the position that they're getting? I mean, Ryan, if you want to touch on this, because I'd probably go on a rant. <laughs> well, I mean, so who's USC's offensive line coach right now? We're going to talk about that, but there's no yeah. one officially hired. So I think it's not one of those things where today is what your class is going to look like. you got to pick up those players that are going to help build the class. Getting a five-star early in the process is a big deal. That cornerback could lead to more offensive line commits down the road. You, a lot of times it's a quarterback that's sort of leading the charge in recruiting, but when you get, like Shotgun talked about, you get a five-star in there, it makes a big deal. If Corey Foreman had committed a year earlier, he's working on the recruiting class. If you remember Bryce Young, another five-star from modern day, he was relentless trying to recruit kids, and it wasn't working. Like a part of the, you know, part of the decommitting reason was, man, he was trying to recruit kids. He's the five-star quarterback. It's USC come, and no one was was coming. That was, you know, ended up being a really bad class. Uh, for USC, and that was coming off the five and seven season, and everything was down. So yeah, I mean, I think it's important, but you can't look at it like they got a cornerback commit today. That means they're not getting an offensive lineman tomorrow. I don't think you can look at it that way. Yeah, and in that sense, shotgun. The reason I was talking about this because I feel like some of the USC fan take is so many defensive backs. When are we going to get what USC fans need? You know what I mean? What is your take to that? <laughs> this is one of my. Biggest pet peeves is like a class can't be all offensive linemen. I don't know if yeah. you guys know this, but if USC had 85 scholarship offensive linemen, that wouldn't be a very good football team. In case you're wondering, and now they would be better on the offensive line. Eventually, they would find someone in that 85 mix that could play those five spots. However, that's not the case. You got to have you know you got to have positional depth across the board, and that's one of the things that they're building with the wide receivers. You know they you know they get Katie Nixon, and people were asking. Why would they want to transfer? Well, this guy's really good. You know, he's played, he was really good, especially with LaVisca Chenault, uh, you know, playing side by side in Colorado when those two were together. You know, you can move him around, do some different things with him. Uh, but why do you want to get a receiver? Well, because you finished the year and you had four, you had five guys that were returning, they were healthy. Well, one of those guys was playing DB the final game, too. So you really had four guys that were healthy that are going to be back on the roster this year. Um, so, you know, maybe Kyle Ford comes back. Maybe Muneer McLean is healthy. Those, those are still question marks. Um, so you might have a little bit more depth there and you bring in some young guys, but you just don't have many bodies there. And those, there's three or four of those guys on the field every single play. Whereas offensive linemen, USC currently has 13 to 15 of those guys. You know, they have some depth there as far as bodies. Now, the question is talent. You know, do you have talented depth? And that's been the big question. And, you know, is it, you know, are they going to have enough talent for the fit for the offense? That's a big question. But as far as just bodies, they have those. Now, that was a big question mark two years ago. And that's why they went out and got six guys in that class, the 2020 class, uh, because they had missed out the previous couple classes on signing some big name guys. And they, you know, didn't fill in with, with some lower rank guys. So uh, you have to have balance at all times. You can't just have a complete roster of DBs. You can't have a complete roster of offensive linemen. Neither one will, will work to have a successful team unless you're playing seven on seven. Then give me the DB roster and we'll have a good flag on flag football team. 
uh, but it won't be the same. So you have to have both. Why are they not going after offensive linemen right now? Why are they going after cornerbacks in the 2023 class? Well, Dante Williams is already locking up 2022, so he's moving on to 2023. That's what you're supposed to do. Why are they not going after offensive linemen? They don't have a coach. You know, what's, the, what's that offensive lineman going to be like? Thanks for the offer, Gavin. You know, I appreciate the <laughs> offer from you, but um, are you going to be my position coach? No. So you need that position coach to come in and be like, yeah, this is a guy. I definitely want this guy. We want him on the, our board. Put him up there. Let's give him an offer, that type of thing. So it's a work in progress. It's not something, if they get a commitment from a five-star cornerback, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. It's okay, guys. <laughs> it's not a bad thing. But some people are just like, this is not an offensive lineman. That's the area where we're struggling at. There can't be any good if it's not an offensive lineman. Yeah. And to be clear, that's the internet take voice. It's not really a shot at USC fans because I know we got some comments. That was just my internet uh, disgruntled voice. Um, but speaking of offensive line coach, it came out this week. I believe uh, Bruce Feldman was the first to report uh, that Texas State's Clay McGuire uh, is set to become USC's next offensive line coach. Uh, that hasn't been officially announced yet. I know we put in the war room that uh, that is expected to be the hire. They just have to get through things uh, to make that official. Uh, Ryan, I know we talked about this on the Parasol podcast, but what are your thoughts uh, now that you've had a couple days of process about this uh, hire that we're expecting? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I really felt like USC was going to get somebody from that air raid tree, uh, not even just like a spread, but really someone that had air raid experience. If you looked at our hot board, just had a lot of guys that did that. You know, if you had a connection to Hal Mummy or Mike uh, Leach, uh, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, Graham Harrell, and, you know, guys like that. And he's got, you know, connections to a bunch of those guys, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley and stuff. Uh, you know, the fact that he was at, you know, Texas State is going to raise eyebrows. I don't think optically it's an ideal hire as far as looking at it where people are going like, oh, it's a Texas State guy. It was, you know, Western Kentucky. You know, you know that people are going to get mad at that kind of stuff. But, you know, you look at the resume, there's definitely some good stuff there and there's some, some questionable stuff. There, but having 10 years really with Mike Leach, uh, certainly there was a connection with Graham Harrell, you know, being on staff at Texas Tech when he was a player there, uh, being a, a coach at Washington State when Graham was starting his coaching career. I think it was an outside receivers coach to start uh, for Mike Leach, you know, knows the, the air raid scheme. And, I, and, you know, not being an offensive line guru, we talked about the hire. Why is Tim Drevno getting promoted and keeping and staying on? when you're bringing in an air raid scheme and we were told, oh, it doesn't matter, you're blocking stuff. But it just seemed like those two didn't really see eye to eye and you're blocking you know, for one kind of offense and you're running another kind. So to me, this is more about the failure from a couple of years ago when you know, we've talked about it a lot, when you're revamping the staff on the offensive side, you really only had two pieces that were part of the air raid. They only had one receivers coach that year too which typically you see there's an inside receivers coach and outside receivers coach. I think you make you have to make the offensive staff. It's great to give, give Graham Harrell the keys, let him do his stuff, but you have to make the staff shaped like what an air raid staff would be like, and now you're going to get uh, a little more like that. There's some concerns uh, with sack numbers and stuff, uh, what he was seeing at, at Washington State. Uh, I think he's a pretty good recruiter uh, from what I've seen. Definitely a do more with less kind of guy. And there's a bunch of three-star uh, offensive linemen on the, the roster right now that I think he's going to have his hands full trying to develop. But there's, there, there's some good-looking athletes there that I think if he can turn them into the next Elijah Vera Tucker or whatever, I think that's going to be a huge win for USC. So for me, his top job is 
take the guys you got now and shape them into, you know, great offensive linemen uh, for the future. But, you know, they need an air raid guy, and, and they found one in uh, Clay McGuire. Shotgun, what difference does it make when you actually have an offensive line coach who knows the system you're running as far as air raid? I mean, it's just the, the ability to teach. Um, you know, just to have the, the set of skills and know exactly what the offense. And, and one of the things that Mike Jinks has said before is speak the same language. You know, whether it's you know, just the, the terminology, the verbiage that you use, or if it's just knowing exactly what you're trying to do on each play. You know, you know with a toss sweep when you have, you know, student body left, student body right, it's a lot different than a zone blocking scheme like an Alex Gibbs. Alex Gibbs is the godfather of zone blocking offensive line. And, you know, if you're, if you're running an offense with zone blocking, you would want someone who knows exactly what you're doing there versus a man-to-man blocking scheme where you're identifying uh, exact people rather than an area where you're trying to block. So I, I think it's just a big difference. It's, it's kind of like the difference in you know teaching a you know a Jim Beheim two three zone Syracuse zone defense. Well, if you if you want to install that defense, what, do you take someone who just knows how to play man to man defense all the time is really good at teaching about staying in front of guys? No, you want somebody that knows the zone and really knows how you, where you need to rotate, where you need to move those type of things. It's just knowing that that system and having a better fit to be able to teach it uh, to the players. Yeah. Now, Ryan, you sorry, go ahead. Oh, just real quick, like yeah, there's I. I not a, again, not an offensive line guru, but understanding being like when you looked at it, typically for these air raid, these spread schemes, it's, it is more of a zone blocking scheme. Correct me if I'm wrong, Shotgun. And guys are spread out a little more. The splits are a little wider and guys are taking, uh, you know, their lanes and they're, they're blocking their areas. You're not seeing as much like pulling and things like that where you would have. And I think that was more of a Tim Drevno kind of style, what you're, you, you know, running that pro style kind of offense. They were a little tighter in and it just, you know, you could argue about what the protections were like, but really the run game is where uh, the biggest issue I saw was. And some of it was, you know, you had, you know, Mike Jinks wasn't used to the marquee steps of the world being their running backs, but also it just seemed like the way that the splits and stuff were doing, it just wasn't, schematically, it wasn't putting uh, the players in a great position to succeed. So your hope is just running the same sort of concepts that the overall offense is doing, and that's what's being taught by Clay McGuire, it will open up opportunities, even if the players stay at the exact same level, just the scheme's going to be a little different and should open up some opportunities in the run game and hopefully make the protections a little bit better too. Yeah, if you're blocking, and we'll say the defense stays in the same position regardless of where you're blocking, and you have some, you know, you're tighter together, then identifying where this guy is and how you're going to block him is much different if your splits are now here, the offensive line itself is spread out to here. Now you're blocking this guy in a different direction. So teaching that is much different. Um, so it, it's, you know, it, there are pulling and different things in, in uh, the zone sp- uh, spread and stuff, but you're not pulling both your backside tackle and your backside guard all the way in front on a sweep. That's a much different type of, you know, you're just so far away. Um, so some of the things is just identifying who should block. And that's something where you're in game and you're teaching as a defense is, is moving around. Like, okay, how do we block this on the next play? And maybe that's something you see improve for USC just because there's going to be a better understanding of what the rest of the offense is trying to do. Now, Ryan, you alluded to it already, but how fast is McGuire going to have to come in and then try and work the portal? Because they need to, to fill, I uh, uh, almost said Austin Jackson, Elijah Vera Tucker uh, leaving for the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I think ideally you would love to get a left tackle out of the portal. I think, you know, from the sources we've talked to, that's on the agenda. 
don't think it's going to be extremely easy. I think they did a, you know, getting a Drew Richmond in uh, a couple of years ago, playing right tackle. I think that worked pretty well. I mean, he played most of the games. If you can get someone like that, otherwise, I mean, the fact that we know that they're looking, it, it would bring up some concerns of, hey, who's going to be that guy? There wasn't an heir apparent. And if they don't get someone, and even if they do, it's still going to be Clay McGuire's job to figure out who is going to be, of those young players, who do you think the heir apparent could be? Who could be, who has the most upside as your left tackle in protecting, uh, you know, Keaton Slovis? So I think you're going to identify some of those guys, and I think he's going to have to really work to develop them. That's what, you know, one of the things he did a really good job of, developing guys. There's, you know, uh, guys that became all Pac-12 or, or all Americans that he coached at Washington State. And they were the kind of bodies that USC recruited maybe the last couple of years that certainly weren't as highly ranked as, uh, you know, an Austin Jackson was or a Chuma Adoga was. But these are the kind of body types that they were recruiting, uh, you know, at Washington State. Same guys, not, you know, two-star guys, three-star guys. So I think it's going to be his job. But they're going to try to find uh, a left tackle in the portal. I just haven't heard – you've heard other positions where they've had guys that they were, like, targeting going after. I haven't heard as much – with the left tackle. I think it's going to be a little harder to do that, but ideally that's what they, they'd love to bring in, bring in the starting left tackle for 2021. We talked about Wayne Morris with Chris mm -hmm. on Tunnel Vision last week, uh, Shotgun. How much do you think USC just not having an offensive line coach yet uh, impacted his decision? I mean, that uh, definitely didn't help them. And it depends on, you know, there's a lot of things on his side of the situation you don't really know is, you know, is he trying to get in to spring semester now? So he wanted to make a decision as quick as possible to, to be able to, to get enrolled and uh, be at his new school. Um, th those things we don't know because Drew Richmond, if you remember, didn't come in the spring. He came in the summer uh, and then joined, you know, the USC team in the fall. So uh, those might expedite his decision. Whereas if he was, you know, planning to wait, then it's not a big deal that USC didn't have their coach now. Whereas he wanted to make his decision quickly, so it didn't help that you don't have the offensive line coach. Um, now, is he the only guy in the portal? Is he the only one that's going to go in the portal from, you know, from the beginning of this year? No, there's going to meet other guys that are going to, you know, fall out of favor with a new coaching staff. You don't feel like you're getting the respect or whatever it may be. You may go in the portal. You may be a starter, you know, previously, but you feel like, you know, you should be given a spot and suddenly you're in a competition with a new coach. Who knows? There's different ways that guys end up in the portal. Uh, so we'll see if anyone else shakes loose. There's still some other offense tackles that are in there right now. You could also see, you know, does someone, you know, push up, you want to want to push up their level of competition from a group of five school or even an FCS that's done really well, but you may not know about them. Um, and, you know, that's somebody that USC looks for. They did look for a couple of those guys last year. They looked at a couple of, of uh, you know, smaller school offense tackles to try to bring in as well. Now, we thought that was going to be it for coaching turnover, but then there was a report by Adam Rittenberg on Friday. Uh, the tight ends coach, John David Baker, will be leaving for Ole Miss. I was able to confirm that report. Um, it sounded like this was something that USC expected, and they're expected to fill that pretty soon. What I haven't gathered, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this, if you're USC, do you go with a tight ends coach, or do you try and do what the air raid was supposed to do, where you have an inside receivers coach and then an outside receivers coach? Which direction would you go in, Ryan? Yeah, so this is a weird one to me because I mean John David Baker is basically like Graham Harrell's friend right they came together um, you know he brought him with him they promoted him last year he spent one year as an assistant coach in college and the tight ends really weren't used that much and Lane Kiffin hires him away so that's good I mean I think it shows that you know someone else sees something in him as a coach potential 
that Graham Harrell saw in him. Uh, but I also felt it was weird. I don't know why you call it a tight ends coach. I mean, I think you need to do inside receivers and outside receivers. You're, I know we're getting comments that, you know, dump the air raid and all this kind of stuff. They're running with it. They're, they're going with the air raid. You saw the hire that they made for the offensive line coach. They're fully embracing it. So I think if you want the offense to work at its peak, even if you don't like the scheme, you have to do, you have to mimic what they've done at other places. And I feel it's inside receivers, outside receivers, those kind of spread offensive concepts. Like that's what you always see. Um, I don't remember, I don't recall anyone, you know, I don't know all of the staffs, but all everyone's staff I've seen, I've I looked up a bunch of them is like inside receivers, outside receivers. So I think it would behoove, behoove you to do that. I'm not sure if they just said tight ends coach to try to appease some of the people that don't necessarily on board with the scheme, but I think you have to be all in with it and uh, just find an inside receivers coach to go with uh, Kerry Colbert because Colbert wasn't a, you know, he didn't, you know, coach those kind of air raid schemes either. So uh, having a, an experience like inside receivers coach and it could work with the tight ends and make them be a better part of the offense, I think would be, you know, something beneficial for the offense. Shadi, what's your take? Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone like Seth those, you know, gets promoted from within that knows the air raid. But yeah, I definitely think that you should have labeled it inside receivers. Uh, I think the big issue there is that now recruiting tight ends, you know, can you actually recruit a guy that is a tight end if you don't have a tight end coach? I think that plays into the naming there, even though I think that the JDB was probably working with those inside receivers just as much as the tight ends. Um, so I think part of it is the, you know, the, the optics of it for recruiting and whatnot. So, uh, and give credit to JDB that, you know, bringing in John David Baker brought in Michael Trigg and uh, Lake McCree, two tight ends. So that was part of the reason why he probably, you know, had some allure to a guy like uh, Lane Kiffin. I think it's a great move for him to go learn from Lane Kiffin now. Um, I, I think he's going to have a lot of fun just, you know, being in that offensive room with Lane Kiffin and, and picking his brain on different things. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for the recruits, though, if you have a guy like JD, JDB leave after you've been recruited by him? I mean, it's the, the nature Name of the college football. I mean, that's why uh, there's been so much emphasis on the potential of a one-time transfer rule because, you know, the, the saying is always, why do players have to sit out a year but coaches can, you know, leave immediately, mm -hmm. you know. Yep, no, it makes sense. I mean, sense. we saw that at Texas, right, where all those recruits signed and uh, yep. they did, they waited to get rid of Tom Herman until after signing day, and then they bring in Sark. And it's like, okay, yep. should those I mean, guys be able to get out of their letters and intent? I, I would think so if you pull a move like that. I mean, the ultimate one is the linebacker that ended up at Georgia that had signed with UCLA or was going to yeah, sign yeah. with UCLA. And Jeff Ulbricht, their linebacker coach, Jim Moore was like, stay on, stay on. The very next day, he's the Atlanta Falcons, you know, uh, linebackers coach or something. So uh, the, that linebacker got out. I'm blanking on the name right now. But, uh, you know, got out of that commitment to UCLA and decided to sign with Georgia. But that's what happens in this game. Speaking of Jeff Ulbrich, he is the Jets defensive coordinator uh, now, just recently uh, announced, and Hayes Pollard will be working on his defensive staff as a defensive assistant, I believe, or analyst, uh, and so he will be leaving USC. So, tied that in. We forgot about that, too. There was a lot yeah, of random news. there's a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. This week. And Marshall Sherrington getting hired. We didn't yep. mention that. So, former USCFootball.com intern and, uh, you know, covered uh, Washington High School sports and helped, like, Brandon Huffman and those guys up there in the yeah. Pacific Northwest came down here, came to USC, worked for us for a little bit, and then like became a student manager. So we didn't get them that long, <laughs> um, but yeah, and uh, you know, close relationship to a lot of the players down there. Did a great job at Cal. They had their first top twenty-five class 
and he comes uh, back to USC, so really helping out that recruiting staff. Yeah, so heard good things about him. I know Miller Moss was close with him too, right, Ryan? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was. Uh, I think he did a good job trying to convince him to go to Cal too. But yeah, he, you know, it's those are the. It's like the Gavin Morris's of the world, like the you know, behind the scenes guys that are doing work. He's definitely one of them. Young, I think he's like twenty six years old, twenty five years old, something 24, like that. Yeah. <laughs> huh? Twenty four. Twenty four. Okay. Young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, young kid, but doing, uh, you know, doing good work. So I think that's a that's a nice hire. And we thought there'd be some turnover on the support staff, and which is good because USC started to build out a better support staff. And then those guys become desirable. Like if you're Chris Hawkins and you get hired as a you know full time, that's what you want. If you want, if someone wants to hire your support staff guy, put him in a you know a, a higher a profile role. I think you're doing a good job of building out the support staff, and we've seen that over the last year and a half or so. They're doing a better job uh, hiring guys to support the entire program. Yeah, not only support staff, but John David Baker. You know, you yeah. hire an assistant, and someone else hires them away. That's you know usually a positive sign that you're making good hires. Monday was the deadline to declare for the NFL draft. Uh, one of the guys we hadn't really heard from was Isaiah Polamau. I know we talked about it on the show a lot. He did uh, release a video that he was returning for the 2021 season. Shaka, what does that mean for that uh, defensive back uh, class? Because you're having you have uh, Elijah uh, Elijah Griffin leave and Talno Hufunga leave. If you have a t- uh, Isaiah Polamau come back, what does that do for that that defensive back group? I think it's really big just because of all the young guys that are coming in. They have six DBs if see you're right. Uh, does sign with USC, the, the commit from Army, the Army uh, All-American uh, presentation, I guess, this year is what, <laughs> what it would be, uh, since there was no game. Um, but, you know, you have 60 DBs right now that, that are coming in. So to have that veteran, he's not just an old guy. He's a captain. He's a captain on the defense. So you get one of your captains back. I think that's really big for that defensive back group to be able to try to, you know, uh, let them grow underneath him. And it gives you some more options, I guess, with the safety position. Knowing that you have him back there, you're not replacing two safeties at once. Uh, you're replacing Talanoa Hufunga's spot, but you also have Greg Johnson and Max Williams who both played that the nickel safety spot. So does one of those guys move? Do you bring in one of the young guys? There's some other guys, uh, you know, second and third year guys on the roster. Can somebody step up? Um, but I think just having him, you know, being able to – you have your center fielder of the defense, the guy that's the very back end, gives you a little bit more confidence. Uh, you don't have the playmaker anymore in Talano Hufunga, the guy in the box moving around, but Isaiah can help you, save you from having any of those big plays over the top. Uh, so getting him back, I think, is big as far as a leadership role, but also on the field as well. Ryan, any thoughts on that? Uh, no, it's great for Isaiah Polamau. I thought we might hear from more seniors, um, like that were, because basically, and, and Keely and I talked about this off air. I'm, we're going to put up a new scholarship distribution chart. It's basically the same, except the people that left, because nobody moves. There, no one's a class advances. So some of the seniors didn't. Adv- but we'll need to find out. Like maybe some guys are retiring from football and they're not making an announcement that aren't going to the NFL. But we kind of need to figure all that stuff out, which is it's interesting. I mean, that you know, having this uh, weird NCAA rule where no one loses any eligibility just made it kind of strange. Mm-hmm. But I need a little mini rant if i can really yeah about what uh this is about the air raid okay, okay. go ahead micah i need to make a clip out of this <laughs> so we have a uh, buck tooth 101 uh on periscope we're not going anywhere until we run the ball air raid has never run, run uh won a natty all right um yes i think usc has to run the football we've seen successful offenses that throw the ball a whole lot uh clay Houghton brought it up after the i think the arizona game LSU, you know, in, in 2019, Alabama every year. 
They can throw the football a ton, and they can run the football a ton. I don't disagree. USC needs to be able to run the football. Like running, being last in the Pac-12 is unacceptable. Uh, it was terrible. It was a terrible rushing year, and it's something that Clay Hilton emphasized after they ran the ball pretty well in two really close wins against Arizona State and Arizona. But this whole argument about the air raid has never won a natty is stupid. Okay, why? Because how close is USC to winning a national championship? Do you think that if USC switched to some pro-style offense, they're instantly going to win a national championship? No, it's not. a USC's offense was the gumbo. It was awful. They needed something. If it was the triple option, I don't care what it was. They needed a, a single cook in the kitchen to figure out what the offense was going to be. They went with the air raid. It was pretty popular. You're like you're, you're seeing teams score a lot of points, be successful with it. It's not, oh, now they can't run the football. They're never going to win a national championship. You need USC to get to like smell the playoff first. So the fact that you're talking about a national championship with the kind of offense they're running, they needed a competent offense to elevate their game from here to here. It looked like it was going to be that way in 2019. They took a step back in 2020. Give them a pass because it's pandemic and all that stuff. But we'll see if they're able to take that step. But I'm not blaming the air raid is the, the problem for USC's. Like, that's not why they're not in the national championship picture. There's a million other reasons why. And I would say the air raid at least kind of made their offense go from whatever, the 90s up until the top 25 range. At least it was competent. They weren't even competent at that point. And they were running the ball, just not effectively. So rant over. Well done. <laughs> Shotgun, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, you know, Igor asked the question, has the air raid ever won anything of substance of any team? I mean, Oklahoma's been in the playoffs with it. Um, the, the Joe Brady offense isn't technically an air raid, but it's very spread. I mean, Joe Burrow threw 60, 60 touchdown passes yeah. when they won their national championship. So if you're going to say, well, it's the air raid and the style and the, the schematics of it, you want to say that doesn't work versus, you know, they, they, you know, they can't throw the ball for a, a ton of yards in a game and, and that's how you win games. Yeah, you can do that too. Nick Saban has said, you don't win games with champion. You don't win championships with defense anymore. You win it with offense, and I think Alabama just proved that when they just put on a boatload of points uh, in the playoffs with their offense and Devonte Smith and those guys. Yeah. So, you know, is it exactly an air raid? No, it's a spread type system. Other guys, there's going to be principles that are that kind of bleed in between spread and, and air raid styles. But yes, you do have to run the ball. It starts with that. You have to be able to do that. You can't be pass only. No offense is ever successful if they only do one thing. Um, the difference is that the air raid under Mike Leach uses the running back as another receiving option. Under Graham Harrell, it's not the same. Those guys are just checked down. They're not using them a bunch of out, you know, running a bunch of different routes and stuff. They want those guys to be true running backs. So they, it's similar to a spread style there, you know. Yeah. They need to run the ball more, for sure. Like, the, the yeah. way he talked about this air raid. They need to run it successfully. Right, yes. Uh, they talked about, you know, being, what, a 55-45 kind of split and all that stuff. Uh, and Scott on Periscope is like, we have a single cook in the kitchen. There's only one item on the menu. And I agree with that. Um, they can, But I don't think that's the way the offense is supposed to be designed. I think they had problems with having an offensive line coach that didn't really know their scheme and all that stuff. You're hopeful that they'll be able to remedy some of that stuff. But they have to run the football, but don't just say the air raid's never – you're not going to win a natty with the air raid. Like, if USC was really successful, they could win a championship with this kind of an offense. If they, but they have to run the football. That is for sure. The interesting yeah, thing uh, – Oklahoma in 2017 
They had uh, an 1,100 yard runner and a 700 yard runner in 2018. Kyler Murray ran for 1,000 yards himself, but they also had another 1,000 yard rusher and Trey Sermon, we just saw in the uh, national championship with Ohio State briefly. Uh, he ran for 947. So you have two guys that are running for almost 1,000 yards, plus a quarterback that run for 1,000. So if you, you have to run the ball to be successful, but that's the teams, those teams ran air raids, they made it to the playoffs. One of the big things, reasons why is because they could rely on their run game too. That's the big thing for USC. I talked to Drake London this week and I asked him what he's expecting in year three of Graham Harrell's air raid. And the phrase he said was more complex, which I thought was interesting. So something to look for yeah. next season. Uh, why is it taking this long then? That's a, I mean, well, we installed the offense three days. Then we redid it. And then we redid it, and then we redid it. We just want to get really good at running the same things over and over and over. And that's the whole mindset that Mike Leach had was, you know, we can run a play and it doesn't matter. And, you know, Graham Harrell can throw it to Mike, Michael Crabtree. It doesn't matter what defense that Texas has. Great, but you need to have some, mix some wrinkles in there. You know, I like watching Oklahoma State's version of the air raid a little bit more just because they'll throw some different wrinkles in there, and they run the ball really successful. Guys like Chuba Hubbard. Yeah. I think the difference is is you weren't having that complaint after or during the first season. I think it's uh, coming back in year two where people have tape not only of the offense, but also of Keaton Slowis. Maybe there wasn't enough adjustments in that second season for uh, that adjustment. And yeah. it's more difficult to do it this year with you know lack of play and lack of practice time yeah. and lack of spring and all those things. For like a full offensive meeting. <laughs> yeah. So you're trying to install things over Zoom versus yeah. on the field. Yeah. But, so it's a lot, a lot of different challenges this year. It should have been a pandemic-proof offense, though, if you can learn it in three days. Like, then it shouldn't have been a problem, you know. But, but if you're adding complexities... I, don't, I think they're going issues. to now. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. But. And one of the complexities, you know, uh, Jigger Romes, Jigger Romes uh, said, can they do the air raid under center? Fourth and one doing shotgun doesn't make sense. Hey, that'd be an interesting wrinkle. You know, you could throw in an under center package every once in a while. They're not going to do it, at least not now. Uh, but it's something that they could easily do as well. Ryan, I'm glad you got a, a warm-up rant in. And this is why I asked you what you were going to rant about. Oh, because we haven't talked about uh, Larry Scott yet. Uh, the <laughs> Pac-12 and Larry Scott are parting ways. He's going to leave in June. Your thoughts, Ryan. I know this show in, in particular has been pretty critical of Larry Scott, and, and rightfully so. Yeah. Uh, John Canzano came on our podcast of champions. I love the – he called him Champagne Larry, and it was completely – it's an awesome nickname. We had a little drop on there. We did a podcast of champions a little earlier, me and David Woods, who kind of went on some rants. But yeah, it's, I think it's something Pac-12 fans were just waiting for. It didn't go down exactly the way I thought. I thought it would be sort of like a mutual parting ways. And I felt like maybe like a year out, his contract was going to end in the middle of 2022. He's going to get paid, uh, but he'll be gone in June. Um, so it's, it needs to happen. Uh, the Pac-12 CEO group will be... Uh, looking for his replacement and hearing John Canzano interviewed all three of them. It's the president from uh, Washington, Washington State and Oregon. So it's very Northwestern, uh, you know, focused right now. But that's the kind of the, they, they rotate and that's where the rotation is as far as like the leadership group. But it sounds like they know football and I think they'll do a pretty good job with that. I'm not sure what direction they're going to go. But Larry Scott, I mean, we were trying to put up a Mount Rushmore of all of his gaffes and, uh, you know, for me, it was just about he was so self-serving. You know, it was someone coming from an individual sport uh, like tennis and really just looking at the Pac-12 as like an ATM and just made so much money. He was the highest paid commissioner 
and the lowest production as far as commissioners go. But you look at what he did, putting you know, these lavish San Francisco offices that cost you $7 million a year. The SEC paid like a, a dollar a year for their uh, rent, uh, and, and the Pac-12 was paying $7 million a year. He was taking you know, luxury suites, private jets, uh, bonuses to uh, you know, his uh, support team until you know, while furloughs were going on. There was just so much that he was champagne Larry, and he wouldn't even talk the athletic directors. It was more of a, a monarchy where he just made these decrees and he had the support of the, the CEOs, the, the, you know, the PAC 12 presidents and chancellors, but then they started to fall off and, you know, the, the eighties would keep complaining to their, their presidents over the years. And they're like, Oh, it's Larry. Larry. And then it starts to, then more of them are complaining and more of a complaint. Then the last couple of years you saw him actually talk to ADs. It was too little too late at that point, but he didn't listen to anyone. He didn't listen to his own staff. He just made his decisions, and it was sort of like just, you know, he was close early on. I, you know, it was a pretty good television deal for a couple of years, and then it was awful for the last decade or so. Um, it really was these close decisions that he made early on that you thought, like, wow, this looks better. He, he was doing a better job early than Tom Hansen, but... Overall, if you just let Tom Hansen do things, you might have adapted better to the, the current landscape uh, than when let, what Larry Scott did. Maybe the biggest gaffe to me is the Pac-12 network. Uh, I mean, what were they focused on? When you're making a big deal, you're making a big decision, whoever it is, you have like the kind of ideas in your head of what it needs to be. He was so focused on the Olympic sports, putting on, what is it, 860 live events per year, stuff that would be great for web content. You don't need a, a, an extra network for that. He put a network in every region. Oregon State and Oregon have their own network, and you could watch a volleyball game from three years ago. Uh, you know what, what is the point of that? John Wilder did a report on this as far as uh, the, the actual ratings because the Pac-12 network wouldn't release it. He got down into the, the you know, down and dirty with people that do ratings. That some of these things would actually have a zero, like literally nobody watching these things. And so it was harder on distribution. Here's seven networks you got to put on DirecTV. They're like, go pound sand. And he just didn't focus on what you needed to focus on, which was the major sports and get it in you know, distribution uh, to where people can watch it. You're talking about national college football writers that can't get the Pac-12 network. You can't get it you know, in Southern California. It wasn't on any basic cable packages. It was just terrible. The distribution was bad. And what you focused on was putting on all these live events. Nobody watched. So it cost all this money. Um, he made it a media company and doubled his salary. It's not a media company. So everything's on the table for his replacement. They're probably going to move the networks. I mean, the, the, the offices out of San Francisco, put it somewhere in a suburb somewhere. They're You've got to do something with the Pac-12 network. They're going to get a new TV deal. So there's a lot of things that he really screwed up that you got to fix. And maybe the one that people don't talk about enough, the whole Willie Dixon stuff and, uh, you know, the, the officiating, it's awful. And that's sort of like, uh, you, you know, the landscaping around your house as far as, like, that's what people look at, the Pac-12. Man, the referee, the officiating is so bad. And, the, you know, the director of officiating that they hired this last time, he's got two games of experience or something, like, you know, officiating in the MAC in, like, the 90s. Like, that's all he's got. So the decisions, that, you know, have still been bad, and whoever the new commissioner is is going to have to come in, similar to what you know the athletic director for USC had to do, come in and really just reverse so many of the bad decisions that were made. 
Uh, maybe he started off on the right trajectory. There was some cool stuff early on, but it's been bad for a long time to the detriment of all of the Pac-12 programs and USC especially. Mm -hmm. Woody Dixon, Ryan, that's who you're referring to. Who did I say? Willie. Well, I'm sorry, Woody Dixon, my mm -hmm. bad. Shotgun, I know you have. a conference lawyer that overruled the on-field referees and then the replay referees on a play USC-Washington State a couple years ago. Yes. Uh, Shotgun, I know you have a lot of thoughts. You said it on the Family Feud podcast, plug. Uh, anything else you want to add before we move into questions? I think that I'll try to be quick with this. If you guys want my expanded thoughts, go to the Family Feud podcast. Um, you know, it seemed a lot of people enjoyed that one. But I'll try to be quick with and just look at what was listed, what was listed in the press release as his accomplishments. So this is what he was supposed to have done really, really well. <laughs> he helped deliver changes that transformed the conference into a modern 12-team league. Okay, you can give him a little bit of that, get in Utah and Colorado, except you missed out on Texas and Oklahoma, and you had to settle. So you're settling, so that's an accomplishment, your settlement. Institutions agreed to equal revenue sharing for the first time. Well, that's great if you're in Corvallis or Pullman, not so much if you're USC or UCLA. You know, you're giving up a bunch of money to help support uh, Washington State and Oregon State, so not really great for USC there. Created two football divisions they don't even align geographically. This is one of my biggest pet peeves. Don't call it the North and then have two teams that are farther south in Cal and Stanford than Utah and Colorado are. Come on, at least get your ge geography correct here. He helped lay the foundation for a strong valuation of those rights in the next round of negotiations. So this TV rights, helped, uh, helped this strong valuation, lay that foundation by not winning any championships in the major sports. So if USC or, you know, if the Pac-12 was coming off three of the last five national championships of football, that valuation is going to be a lot better. That foundation is going to be a lot stronger. So that's an accomplishment for him again here. Uh, the Pac-12 networks, and Ryan, you're talking a little bit about this, how it objectives went beyond revenue generation to emphasize exposure for women's and Olympic sports, which you can debate whether that should be the correct way to do it. The problem I have with this saying that is, Except if you wanted to be exposed to any of those athletes outside your local area or if you had direct TV, there was not more exposure. You gave up money by not getting on direct TV, but then you did not give the exposure to those players. For one, the, the quality of broadcast was terrible at times. For two, you would have great matchups in certain sports where it would be volleyball. There's some great volleyball or, or soccer games that could be put on the Pac-12 networks. You know, I cover college baseball, and Oregon State's number one in the country, UCLA's number three. Is that game on TV? No. What the hell? How are you getting more exposure for these people? Why are you not to go out and get the money then? You know, have a, be a money grab if you're not actually going to give exposure. Uh, and the last two, if adopting a new logo is listed as a key milestone during your 11-year tenure, I, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say there. You know, that's one of his accomplishments. And the last one was that he launched major initiatives in Asia, China, except there was never any buildup to those events to grab national attention. When I brought it up, Keely and on the Family Feud, Keely and Chris looked at me like, what are you talking about? No one even knew that there was an initiative. So those are your accomplishments, Larry Scott, then it's good riddance that you're gone. You know, it was not only that, like Ryan said, he comes from an individual sport background, and it was all about him. He, he increased the prize money in the WTA. That was one of his big accomplishments when he was working in tennis. Um, and that's what it felt like he was doing in the Pac-12. He was increasing his own prize money. He's going to get it, end up getting paid around $50 million. And those are the accomplishments that he had, the ones I just listed. 
Ryan? Yeah. No, it's he's all it's correct. He was awful, uh, terrible, um, not good. Uh, yeah. So you, the Pac-12 needs to move on, and they're going to do that now. So I'm glad they're doing it. I mean, they could have done it. They shouldn't have extended him in 2017. He gets an extension in 2017, sends out this video and like makes a big deal about it at the Pac-12 offices about. There's this big announcement. Everyone's like, "Wow, you're gonna get DirecTV, or yeah, this is gonna be great." Yeah. And it's like, "I was extended. I'm getting five million dollars a year." And everyone's like, "Yeah, great, Larry." I mean, the head of the networks like lives in my neighborhood. Like he's like in Hermosa Beach or something. Would fly up to, uh, you know, San Francisco every week and did, like that's the kind of weird crap that was going on here. They just they didn't make a lot of money. They wasted a ton of money. He gave a range of what he thought the Pac-12 networks would make for each school, and I think it was supposed to be like. Seven to ten million, or like the low end was supposed to be like seven million, something stupid like that. Every school gets like one and a half million. I don't even know if that's the number. Andy Staples uh, does a great job with the athletic, does a podcast, had John Wilner on, and he said, So every school, this is a great way to put it, every school in the Pac 12 makes per year on the, the, the Pac 12 network, their conference network, they get one and a half million dollars, equivalent to about the offensive line coaching salary in an average SEC school, which is freaking baffling when you talk about that. So that's that's what the schools make off this stupid network that Larry created. I think it was great to have a network. Wholly owning it was a huge mistake. And he's saying, oh, it's going to be great in 2024. No, it's not. You need to sell it to ESPN or Fox. Let them run it. You know why? Because they're media companies. That's what they do. You are not a media company. You were getting paid like you were a media company, had horrible distribution, had horrible programming, didn't do it right. So, yeah, it's a problem, and hopefully it's going to be remedied here going forward. Ryan Rant. Well done. Well yeah. done. And a shotgun rant, too, I guess. <laughs> we both have some rants. That's true. Um, I might, I'm going to jump into a caller. It's our buddy Dave from Iowa, and then I'll jump into questions. I know you guys have a lot of questions, so we'll get into that. Sorry, it's only oh, the top first, of the hour. First off, Boone had uh, the greatest question. Was Larry Scott the great conference commissioner or the greatest conference commissioner? It's, it's a valid question. <laughs> I'm not following. Okay. The greatest conference commissioner, obviously. Uh, sure. <laughs> the greatest, yeah. He's, he's awful. The worst conference commissioner we've ever seen. Moving on to our caller. Dave from Iowa. Hello. You're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, Tunnel Vision. Dave from Iowa. Dave from Iowa. Once again, first off, just to know my shotgun, uh, with that five-star cornerback commit, I'm pretty sure uh, Todd Orlando is going to be changing the base package on defense to the dime package since we have so many DBs. But my question is, or my, my response to shotgun in terms of his offensive lineman rants earlier the reason why us usc fans are so annoyed that there isn't an offensive line commit so to speak is because we actually care about the offensive line and the line of scrimmage compared to usc ryan why do you think sec offensive linemen our offensive line coaches make a million and a half a year or something like that because the head coaches and the the team itself cares about the trenches so in order for us to win games and actually get shit done we need to like focus on the line of scrimmage, which starts with the offensive line. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. A little, yeah. a little rant from Dave there. Yeah, we got a little Dave rant. We're not disputing that that's not, you know, but you can't equate to USC got a five-star cornerback commit and saying, oh, my God, they're just abandoning the offensive line. Like, it's just not, that's not the case. Um, they do have to get better on the offensive line. That's why they fired Tim Drevno. They shouldn't have had him be the... Offensive line coach from two years ago. We ran about this. We talked about this. This has been a problem for a while. The offensive line's a problem. They've got guys, you're going to have two years in a row of guys going in the first round from the offensive line. And you're still, 
overall the performance was bad. That's not good. So yes, it's a acknowledging that USC signed a or you know got a commit from a five-star DB for the class of 2022 does not equate to we think that you don't need offensive linemen. That's just not the case. I mean, shit, guys. We should just stop even reporting about anybody that's not an offensive lineman. <laughs> Isaiah Polamalu commit doesn't matter. Not an offensive lineman. Yeah. You got Katie Nixon, doesn't matter, not an offensive lineman. Five stars, doesn't matter. Corey Foreman, not an offensive lineman. Forget about it. I feel like we started cussing on this show, and I don't know how to feel about it. That's my two cents. Well, uh, well, Shotgun, it just Shotgun followed up with Dave's. Yeah, you know. that's true. Whatever <laughs> works. I think you could say those words on uh, like Nickelodeon now or something. So. <laughs> no, I don't think you can. But it did, it did during the football game. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, unless there's a football game on, then maybe. Comedy Central. No, I, I, I think now. the offense line is really important. But, you know, you can't downplay a five-star cornerback and get the impact of that commitment because it's not an offense lineman. They need to do better on the offense line. I've said that for four years now. Yeah. You know, the, the guys that they've missed out on, you just think, look at it and you salivate at the names of Pinay Sewell and Jackson Carmen and even Jonah Tuanau and Sean Ryan. Like, these are legit left tackles, and that's why you struggle so much to find a left tackle. Uh, and you're like, okay, can Elijah Vera Tucker? And, you know, that's great that he was able to move over there, but you're, now you're back in the same spot of wondering rather than having a guy that you groomed and is ready to come in and be a three-year starter or something. Uh, so, yeah, the offensive line has to get better. We'll see what changes come when Clay McGuire is officially announced as the offensive line coach and where this line can go. I think it's really big for them to be able to get spring football in, yeah. you know, yeah. and to be able to work with a new coach, but also second year, you know, what's going to change if you're going to add some new stuff to the offense. I think spring football is really big for them. Didn't have that last year when they were moving everyone around. So it's going to be big for these guys to get, you know, more time playing the positions they're going to play, which no one on the line except for Nilon was able to do that um, coming into last season's fall camp. Yeah. They lost one of those guys to UCLA, like Chip Kelly, who doesn't even like to recruit. Like they, they picked UCLA over USC. Like that's, yeah. They, they did a Interestingly, that's part of the reason why Sean Ryan, that was his recruitment. He wanted to not be recruited, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> that was his so, personality. Whatever works. But you got to know the personality. You got to figure it thing. out. Yeah. You got to be able to do that. Jumping into questions, we had a question from Teresa on YouTube who said, Who was instrumental in Damani Jackson's commitment? Dante Williams. Obviously, Dante <laughs> Williams, but uh, don't, don't negate the. Uh, the the connections that he's a ground zero guy you know he's a modern day guy so you, you got some of those guys are recruiting him as well but he's also a, a ground zero guy um so you know armand hawkins jr you know worked with ground zero previously so he knows those guys they have relationships gavin morris has had a relationship with demaya jackson you know coming up and visiting usc um, so there's a lot of connections there. And those are the type of players where you need to build those connections early. Corey Foreman, USC, has known about him for multiple years. So all, pretty much the entire staff has been talking to him and you know has a, has a relationship with him. And that's how they were able to land a guy like that. Hey, we got some breaking news on Periscope. Really? Uh, yeah, this is, this is a big deal. Uh, Mr. Wei Wan says, I get Pac-12 International in Taiwan. <laughs> but Taiwan sports media broadcasts only Olympic sports. So... Mr. Uh, Mr. Wei Wan, he gets to watch the Pac-12 Network in Taiwan. We can't watch it here in Los Angeles. So that's just so you know, that's where Larry Scott was putting, you know, focusing on. So I'm so glad you can watch it, sir. Yeah. 
There you go. Thank you for the breaking news, Ryan. <laughs> um, AKA Boone says, uh, what are the chances that Henry Tooto, Oto, don't know if I said that right, comes to USC? Day one starter here, would he be, uh, would he end up at a Alabama or Ohio State? Yeah, I think USC's throwing that life preserver at the Tennessee boat that's, so, you know, sinking <laughs> right now and trying to pick up any scraps from that trend. But he's definitely one that USC recruited out of high school. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, it, it, I think there's a chance. You know, I don't. I haven't seen any specifics on him, but it's certainly someone that I think USC's targeted. Have you guys heard anything? I just got a mental image of you know the Vol Navy and USC's out there with their boat on the <laughs> yeah. river throwing out. Yeah. Was there, <laughs> there a boat that caught on fire like two years ago? Something like that. I think so. That's yeah. a yeah. very good uh, omen. Yeah, for Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Henry Tuoto is is one of the guys that USC's pushing hard for. Um, he has a de he's from De La Salle. Obviously, Michael Hutchings went to De La Salle as well. He has a connection with him. Um, so USC is trying to pull him in. USC, initially, he, he cut his list down coming out of high school to three teams, and that was Alabama, Tennessee, and Washington. USC and Oregon were both in the mix at the end to get his final official visit, and he ended up not taking that on the final weekend. But USC was in the mix for him there. So they were one of the teams that were still vying for him. Um, obviously, USC has some openings in the linebacker spots, potentially, depending on, you know, there's going to be some competitions there for sure, you know, depending on who's healthy. And he's a guy that would come in. You, you've seen the ability, if you watched any Tennessee football, you know, his, his ability to read and react is really big there. Um, I think he would come in and be a starter right away, even regardless of who's healthy, uh, just what he's shown in college versus anyone else on the USC roster. So that's a guy USC is definitely going after, but Alabama is going to be in that mix as well and a couple other schools too. A comment we got on Facebook was, uh, if USC is having a Washington State air raid type of offense, you're going to eventually start to recruit those type of players. And the, the person on Facebook basis basically said, shouldn't USC be trying to mimic teams that have won at greater levels rather than Washington State? Yeah, and I, I don't think Graham Harrell ever said that that's what they wanted to run. I mean, it sounds like from what he was describing, it sounded like it was supposed to be a little bit more like what uh, Oklahoma runs without like the... He hasn't really been – we haven't seen, like, the mobile quarterback aspect of it. And some of that, too, I think hurts the run game. You know, Gerard talks about this a lot. If you're going to do some of those zone read sort of concepts, which can be very effective when you see Oklahoma or, uh, you know, uh, Texas – whatever, when they're doing that kind of stuff, um, you know, we saw them do that, and it, it, you can really open up some stuff in the running game. But when you know the quarterback's never going to run the football, that definitely makes it less – effective so my thought just from what he was describing it was it was going to be a you know you're going to run more than what you would see from mike leach but you weren't necessarily going to have the mobile quarterback or or have the the quarterback be a, a big running threat in the offense so that might open up things more but and maybe he would do that but you know just the he loved keaton slovis and that they're not going to subject him to running the football like you'd see like a kyler murray or something it's a read option but it's not a read option with a quarterback so the option is for the quarterback to throw the quick screen. So there was a video that was posted on the P of Steve Sarkeesian talking about the Alabama offense. They, and he said, you know, there's two ways to go about it. You can do it with a running quarterback, and your quarterback is going to be the runner as the, the secondary option, or your quarterback's going to stay in the pocket, and he's going to throw the quick screen, which they did frequently to a guy like Devontae Smith, uh, with Tua uh, Tungavailoa or with Mac Jones this year. You know, it didn't matter. They were going to keep that guy in the pocket. So the read option isn't necessarily that the quarterback has to take off. Now you can tag that on and you say, hey, they're crashing down 
let's get one on a third and short or a fourth down. Just make sure you slide and get down or whatever. But it, there's two different ways to go about the read option. And so USC's way about it, Graham Harrell, is to throw that, the screen out to the wide receivers on the backside versus the quarterback taking off around the weak side. We had a question from Mike on Facebook uh, who says, when do you think USC will get one of the top running backs in the country? When they show they can run the ball. They're not going to get one in, this, in the 2021 recruiting class, but if they suddenly come out and they're running for a bunch of yards, you can pick up a guy. You know, Oklahoma has, some big, has had some big recruits. Oklahoma State has had some big recruits in this style of offense, so it's possible. Um, and one thing I wanted to go back to was talking about, you know, the Washington State offense. Um, well, Joe Brady's offense was a little different than anything else before, and it did really well. So, you know, you can't just follow exactly, you know, the game of football is constantly evolving. So you have to change some things. Uh, now, can Graham Harrell change some things to make his offense a little bit more successful? FP on YouTube says uh, he actually wants us to fill in the blank. He says, if I were Pac-12 commissioner, I would dot, dot, dot. Uh, get rid of the the regional networks for the Pac-12 and sell it to Fox or ESPN and get it instantly on, so you could so people could watch it. Uh, I think it's the most important thing. You can focus on the major sports, and you can get people to watch your network. That would help a lot. Uh, the first thing you're, you're incorrect, Ryan. The first thing you do is you go and you stand on a table, you filibuster if you have to, at a college football playoff meeting and say, "We want eight teams and we want an automatic bid." Yeah. Because without getting in the college football playoff, it just doesn't matter. You're losing so much money there, revenue-wise, but just exposure-wise and respect-wise. Because USC hasn't been really good. The Pac-12 hasn't been good. They haven't had a team in the college football playoff since 2016. I'm looking at the referee budget and upping that, that sucker <laughs> to get <Yeah>. the <laughs> best refs. That's I what made I a do. comparison to, like, um, do you remember, like, when we talk about the USC, where the athletic department is just, like, you know, decades of incompetence, but they knew, they knew it. They knew where they weren't doing things right. And they never wanted to bring someone from the outside in because someone from the outside would come in and go, wow, you guys are incompetent. <laughs> and so they never wanted that. They would only hire people that they knew. They didn't know what was going on. I feel like that's the way with the Pac-12 referees. They didn't go, you know, they knew there was a problem and they go out and hire this guy that has only been a referee a couple times in his life, uh, you know, two decades ago. Because they didn't want to expose all the issues. I think you have to have someone come in. It's a similar thing. You have to come in and like, look, our referees are incompetent. Fix it. You know, come in and just bring in someone from the outside that can see what the problem is. I feel like it's a parallel to like USC's administration and what's going on with Pac-12 referees. I think it's the same thing with the hiring of the commissioner. You want to take the USC rules that Ryan has established. <laughs> no one can know the fight song. So I don't know if no one can know the pate or whatever is in San Francisco yes. that Larry Scott's been eating. Um, you, you know, no caviar, no champagne. If you're in the same wine club as Larry Scott, you could not get hired. So one of the one of the candidates that's been thrown out, was, I think, is the WCC commissioner um, who previously worked under Larry Scott. And I was like, no, can't do it, can't no. do it. Needs to be complete, sever the ties, no no connections at all. Sorry for that person. Uh, they, just, they can't be a candidate because of Larry Scott. Yeah. In that sense, Rick on Facebook says, who do you guys want, uh, who would you pick for next commissioner? Yeah, I talked about it with uh, David Woods a little bit. I, I'm kind of, he was like, do you really want an athletic director? Like, so you got Greg Burns at, uh, at Alabama. He was in the Pac-12. He was at Arizona. But like, you kind of need someone that's basically like can run a, you know, that knows, can negotiate TV contracts. Like, that's really going to be the big thing. And I don't think that's necessarily like an athletic director. So do you want really a sitting athletic director? Was it Gene Smith from Ohio State? 
I kind of would rather get like a commissioner from somewhere else um, that's maybe been a commissioner before, or you go to like an ESPN and you get like who's the president of ESPN U or you know someone like that works in television that you could kind of bring in and run things. And I think they would make that TV network stuff go a lot smoother. And that that should be a trickle down effect to uh, everything else. Shotgun? No, this guy's wrong over here in this other room. Um, no, that's what Larry Scott was supposed to. He had experience with TV deals with yeah, the WTA. Tennis, not, not a tennis thing. Like so is still experience with, with it. No, you, you need someone that knows the college athletic landscape. Now, can you get someone that does both? Now, there's where you're talking. And that's where I think Oliver Luck was the first name that came to mind for me. He's been an athletic director, but he's also commissioner of the XFL. Um, so, you know, he, and he has a very great, a very high reputation uh, um, in sports as well. And another guy that USC fans have thrown out, and it's not a terrible idea, is David Baker, who runs the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Because, he, you know, he has connections. He was Sam Baker's father, the, the offensive lineman at USC. Um, but he played in Southern California, played basketball at UC Irvine. He's been a politician before, so he knows how to talk his way. Uh, to, to smooth things over with everyone, but he was also the Arena League commissioner. And I thought that was really interesting because the Arena League took off when he was the commissioner. That's when it was really popular. He was able to get fans there, and that's something the Pac-12 really needs, get fans but also get eyeballs, and that includes TV deals and stuff there. So that might be an intriguing, maybe a little bit outside the box, but I think that's a, that's a good candidate as well. Ryan, do you have a rebuttal, or shall I move on? No, no, we can move on. I, like, I mean, I think both those guys would be like. Oliver Luck having some commissioner experience, David Baker as well. Um, David Baker was great to talk to when his uh, son was playing here. He was he was really fun. I mean, he is a mountain of a man, like <laughs> six he, nine, four hundred pounds. He is freaking huge, and you like shake his hand, and your hand would just like disappear. <laughs> and I got pretty big hands, I'm like man, like but the nicest guy in the world. So I think he would do. I mean, you just kind of just trust people. Sometimes, and I think you trust a guy like that. I think he would do a good job. Interesting, okay. You can also farm out the TV rights negotiations. That's another option. I don't know if that's ideal for the Pac-12, but that's something you can do. You can hire an outside firm to, to take care of that. So Mark Watkins on YouTube has some questions about USC's expected offensive line hire. He says, McGuire is an air raid O-line coach, but is he a good air raid O-line coach? Texas State's O-line stats were bad. Washington State's O-line got a lot better after he left, and he couldn't get a better job than Texas State the last two years. I wouldn't say that the Washington State offensive line got better. Their sack numbers got better. He did develop guys and, and make, you know, there's guys that are in the NFL that he coached and stuff and turned into all Pac-12 players that really weren't uh, heralded. So I think it's sort of a mixed bag. You have to, I, I look more at what was happening at Washington State. It is a little, you know, I don't know all the details behind, uh, you know, what happened with Texas State and that. So, and you know, why he was doing there. But, um, I, you know, I think there's some good numbers there too. It's not just bad numbers from him that you're, you're quoting. They didn't, the offensive line didn't get significantly better, but they did give up less sacks when he left. Yeah, sack numbers often are tied to how quickly you're getting the ball away in the air raid system as well. So, you know, Gardner Minshew versus Luke Falk, you might have one guy that holds on the ball or one guy that can escape a little bit more, and suddenly the sack numbers change a lot. D. Diego on YouTube said, why did the offensive line under Tim Jarno work in the air raid in 2019? I don't think it did. I mean, uh, J.J. Had- Daniels got... Crushed, five quarterbacks right? come I mean, out. Yeah, how many times did the quarterbacks get hurt? So I wouldn't say yeah. it worked. Shotgun? I would I would let that I'm just gonna let that one go. 
<laughs> okay. I mean, you pretty much answered it. I mean, there are some positive things. Yeah. Um, and I, I think a lot of the things that hurt USC this year was that second year and people having more tape and, you know, being able to identify how to attack it a little bit better than necessarily the offensive line was great this year. It wasn't great this year. And having Austin Jackson and Elijah Vera Tucker beside each other definitely wasn't a bad thing either in 2019. Ben Jen says, uh, can you guys comment on the Northwest schools being in charge of the commissioner hire? Why are the South schools not involved? It's rotation, right? Like it's the leadership. I don't leadership know the group. exact answer, Ryan. You were saying that. And Chris was saying uh, something on the Family Feud podcast as well. A little bit different. But add a Force One, add a USC or UCLA, add a California school at least. I mean, it just feels like that there needs to be someone in a major media market I mean, Seattle is a major media market, but the other two are the two most desolate places in the conference. So, you know, I think that there needs to be better representation for the Pac-12 South, but in particular, California, whether that be, you know, Stanford or Cal being Pac-12 North teams, uh, doesn't matter there. I think that, you know, you need to have someone from California. Yeah, that's the leadership group, but it, and it does change. Uh, but I feel like this is going to be a thing where you do have to consult you know, it's not just going to be those three. Like, you yeah. have to consult some of the California ones as well. You would think that, but you just came from a commissioner who should have been consulting with people as well. And did that ever happen? No, he never consulted. <laughs> he he made decrees. A.K.A. Boone on YouTube says, how many scholarships are left for transfers slash recruits? It's hard for us to know because, like Ryan said, you know, are there going to be more USC players transfer out? Are there seniors? And there was a good question that I don't know the answer to, and I'll try to find out for maybe next week. But um, Mark asked, do seniors that transfer in, like Katie Nixon, count against the 85 scholarship limit? Or are they exempt, too, like the returning seniors? That's a great question. i, I got to figure out the answer on that one. So maybe it doesn't matter that Katie Nixon is transferring in or if you get another grad transfer this offense lineman because those guys technically won't count. Yeah, I had Colorado people ask me about that, about Katie Nixon's like scholarship and how that would work. And I asked a USC source, and they said it was a unique situation. I didn't get the full story yet, but there's it's not going to be uh, what we usually know, I believe. So I thought it was interesting that the Colorado people were curious about that. So yeah, it's an initial counter for sure when you get a transfer, but you know, is it a overall counter? I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a question from Coley who says, now that it's off the off season, does Coach Helton have less meetings with the press, or is it a once a week type of thing? Way less. We probably don't hear from him. We, uh, he did a LA Times thing. We can put requests in. We don't necessarily get them, but we probably won't hear from him until um, early February for the signing probably period. Probably signing day, yeah. yeah. Um, Someone listening to the show, uh, a USC source just texted in to say that they do count. Oh, yes. I got that as well. <laughs> so so we they're, a, they're a initial counter? or I mean, uh, an overall counter. Overall counter, I believe. Yeah. Um, Leonard on YouTube said, what do you guys think will be the biggest improved unit and the biggest weakness of this team next year? I think the offensive line and the running game is going to improve. I think the fit is going to be better. Um, just, you know, the terminology and all the stuff that we talked about earlier. But I think having spring ball, I think, is really undervalued for this group. With the fact that you had four different guys moving to different positions um, last year, I think that that really hurt them not having that spring ball. I think it will be invaluable for them this year. So I think since you still have several older guys, as of now, you know, they're planning to come back as far as we know, then I think an extra year, the experience they got this year, but then having that spring ball experience with a new coach, I think the run game will improve. I think that's one of the areas where you'll see a big jump. Ryan? 
what, we're, we're, what's going <laughs> to, what are you saying shotgun is going to have the biggest problem? What was the uh, biggest concern? weakness? The weakness. Hmm, the biggest weakness could still be the offensive line. I was going to say. I, I wanted to say the same thing. I want to say offensive line, you know, could be improved, but still the biggest weakness. And maybe with the linebackers too, you know, it, it I, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure at this point. I, I think schematically the offensive line is going to be better, but there's going to be, I think there's still going to be some issues. Dave on YouTube says, uh, why is Graham Harrell so predicted, predictable in his game planning? I mean, if you have a small, simple playbook, it's, there's less you can do, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an execution-based offense, and you're, there's not as many options. Uh, it's, it's really thin. I think it's a really thin playbook. It, if you can install it in three days, it's not that complicated. In the same vein, A.K.A. Boone on YouTube says, uh, with, air raid, with an air raid coach coming in uh, and the O-line playing wider, will SC finally stop bunching up on run plays and telegraphing their run plays? So. We'll see. <laughs> uh, the, the bigger issue I have with that is not running the stuff that is counter. You know, the play action off that, you know, the waggle type of play, different things that you can do where you show the run, and then you give them a pass or you give a different type of run, you know, a, a sweep or something different than, than what has been. It just more creativity, you know, it seems like would be advantageous for them in those type of situations. Maria on Facebook wants to know if we know anything about 2021 and fans. No, nothing as of now. No. I mean, you we'll see where we're at, you know, <laughs> as a, as a county, as a city, as a state, as a nation, as a world, yeah. I didn't. I mean, I didn't even realize this. So Maybe with, mostly just to, to a nation. Some of the rest of the world is doing all right. But I think we got to yeah. worry about California too, because um, like you could see like the Kansas City game. Oh, there's fans in the stands. But like you know, when if the Rams were playing, they wouldn't have fans. Like you know, the Lakers are not. Uh, you know, but the I didn't even realize this. So Santa Clara County. Remember when she, you know Stanford had to play out of state for football, and the uh, 49ers had to to go to Arizona. And when USC's got their game with Stanford canceled, Chaka's saying, like, yeah, and they play in Santa Cruz. And I'm like, no, they play in Santa Clara. And he's like, no, no, they're still not allowed to. I'm like, they're still not allowed? So they're still not allowed to even, like, have any kind of gatherings uh, to, to have a sporting event in Santa Clara County. So it's definitely a, a TBD. But I think the first thing you want to worry about is, can you have a regular spring football? That would be a good step uh, if early April USC can have a regular spring football. I don't see why they wouldn't. Because I don't, it feels like less risk, and they've done it once before. But we'll see. Yeah. Um, Shotgun on the topic of basketball. Do you want a basketball minute? <laughs> I, you know, USC's basketball team is, is coming home. They've got a big week with Oregon, Oregon State. So they just lost to Oregon State at Oregon State last week in a makeup game. As Ryan was saying, they then had to cancel a game on uh, or postpone a game on Thursday because they got a false positive. And Andy Enfield talked about the situation yesterday after the Cal game, uh, USC won at Cal, and may have seen the emergence of Evan Mobley to becoming a superstar, much more aggressive in that game. We'll see if that continues or not, uh, but possi possibly there. Make sure you're watching Evan Mobley. He's not gonna be here long and he is special. Um, but in that, Andy Enfield was pretty upset about the situation with Stanford because they got a false positive. He said, we all knew it was a false positive. We were sure because they had taken he said they had taken four uh, PC or excuse me, two PCR tests and four antigen tests on their road trip, basically. Um, so they had tested negative, 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 negative over and over leading up to this and had a player test positive. Um, they were not able to get a rapid test done before the game could be played, which at USC they would have been. So this is why it came up that they're in Santa, Santa Cruz. Maybe it's because they're in Santa Cruz. Not exactly sure, but 
Um, and then USC offered, hey, we can play on, you know, when they got things cleared up, they're like, and got the test result back, uh, the PCR later that it was negative, said to Stanford, hey, we can play on Friday, we can play on Sunday, we can play on Monday before we head back, you know, you know, let's do Monday, that makes sense, we can play early, you guys are playing Saturday, we're playing Saturday, neither one of them played till Thursday, and Stanford was like, nah, I think we're good, I don't think we really need to play this week, and it comes out that Stanford was missing three starters when they upset UCLA on Saturday. So maybe that played into it. Andy Infield was not very happy about the situation. But now USC, if they're to make up that game, is going to have to fly up to the Bay Area for you know on a Tuesday or something. So it's a weird, wacky year, and they're trying to make the best of it. So you know USC has, has played really, really good at times. They've played not so good at other times. Um, but they're second in the Pac-12 right now, right behind UCLA, and they still got a couple of, of games to go against the Bruins. So an interesting team to watch. They're in position right now to make the NCAA tournament. If they take care of business, they'll be there. Offensively, why do you think it's been so inconsistent lately? Because, like I talked about with Evan Mobley, they need him to be a little bit more aggressive. They need him to be a guy that takes charge every once in a while, and he that's not the personality that he has. So he well, if teams double-team him, he'll you know kick it to the right guy. And if USC doesn't shoot well from outside, then they really struggle. Uh, that's been the biggest difference. Their, their scoring, when they win versus lose, is like a 25-point di- difference. And their shooting percentage on three-pointers is like a 15 or 20% difference mm-hmm. uh, when they win and lose. So it, it comes down to that. And when their outside shooters are making shots and getting Ethan Anderson, their point guard, back last week, um, you know, is going to help them just, you know, have an extra playmaker there. So Evan Mobley is a very unselfish big man, but occasionally you need him to be a little bit more aggressive. And he was that against Cal, scored a career high 25 points, and he knocked down, I think it was 10 of 13 from the free throw line. So, you know, he had a big game, and we'll see if he can carry it forward going in, into this week. Keely, strike. You just gave him a follow up basketball question. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This way. You're talking about the potential number one overall pick in the NBA draft, Ryan. Yeah, come on, Ryan. Yeah, we're talking about football. <laughs> Potential number one overall pick. Come on. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, Facebook, if you want to get any last-minute questions and do so, I am looking at your comment section. A Walker Lambert on YouTube says, which player are the three of you most excited about heading into next season? Huh. Yeah. Maybe Solomon to uh, poo-poo. We got a question about that. Yeah, maybe Someone him. wanted to know how his rehab is going. Leonard did. Last we heard, it was going well, so... Yeah. You know, hoping for the best for him, but I'm not going to get excited about him until I see the full week practice. That's true. I think I went so over this one rule. before. Yep, that's the solo rule. Um, Corey Foreman is going to be interesting. I think it's yeah. exciting to see what he can do in USC's offense, but I, I think the most intriguing player maybe is going to be Keaton Slovis. How does he bounce back? You know, is he going to be a legit Heisman candidate like people thought he would be and a, you know, a potential first-round pick? Or, you know, is there struggles? Is there questions about the arm, the mental, all that stuff? Um, I think that he's going to bounce back. And I think with the spring ball and all those things, and maybe they add some creativity, I think he'll have a big year next year. So he's an intriguing uh, player for me. I'm going to cheat and say a position group. I'm, I'm really excited about the wide receivers just to see them play. I think it's a it's a fun group between Drake London and Brew McCoy, how physical they play. And then Kyle Ford, I was told he's doing well in his recovery. So I, th- I think that's an intriguing group to watch just because wide receivers are fun yeah. in that sense. And if USC can somehow find a way to get Gary Bryant the ball in some space yeah. like the Kansas City Chiefs did tonight with Tyreek Hill, you know, watched a couple of those plays and I was just like, oh, if USC could do that with Gary Bryant, that could be the same type of a playmaker you could see. 
Leonard on YouTube said, do you guys think Sam Darnold will improve under a new head coach? Sure. Yep. <laughs> that was quick. And it's a defensive head coach, but still. Mm-hmm. Uh, FB on YouTube said, when will the conference realize the importance of revenue generating sports like football and men's basketball? I mean, I think they're starting to get it now. I think even Larry Scott started to get it, you know, in the last couple of years. He just didn't focus on it because that wasn't what USC, I mean, what the Pac-12 was good at. But you're hurting those Olympic sports and the non-revenue sports by having your revenue sports be poorer too. So it's just, it's not good for the conference as a whole. So yeah, I think they kind of get it now. And I think the the CEO group is going to try to find someone that will focus on that more. That's what I was going to ask you. The presidents, do you think they understand what they need in a, a commissioner now that they've had uh, to endure Larry Scott, if you will? I think so. Kanzano did an interview with the three, uh, you know, Pac-12 CEOs from the Northwest that, uh, you know, I, they seem like they get football. Uh, they understand the importance a lot more. And uh, I, I think everything's on the table. So they realize their shortcomings. The fact that you're getting rid of this guy, you know, you're going to pay him another, what, you know, seven and a half million dollars or something to go away. Like, I, you know, I think that's, uh, I think that's a big deal. I think Shield really gets into Oregon, the Oregon president. Um, because you've seen the emphasis on those programs at Oregon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Alrighty, any final thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap this one up? A lot of news. Uh, I know. There's a lot Hopefully of news today. Yeah, I think. I mean, we forget things like, oh yeah, Katie Nixon transferred in. Yeah. And all this stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, there'll still be some stuff going on. Where are they going to hire? Uh, as far as the tight end coach, promote from within, bring some from the outside. Is there going to be any more support staff? Uh, turnover. They still need to hire a few people to replace some people that are left on the recruiting support staff. So, you know, any other, maybe some bigger names too, like we saw Marshall get hired and things like that. So there's still a lot of stuff uh, going on and uh, stay tuned for some interviews and stuff up on uscfootball.com. Make sure you check it out. We got new stuff going up every day, all the time, almost every hour. And make sure you check out the Peristyle. The message board is still going off. A lot of upset <laughs> USC fans and it will be continue that way. Uh, for the foreseeable future. Going off is the right description. Shotgun, final thoughts? Yeah, people ask us, like, oh, what are you doing now that football season's over? Like, like, it doesn't stop. Still, <laughs> USC football, like, there's still constantly, there's going to be recruiting news, there's going to be, you know, the hirings and firings process, and then hopefully as we get towards April, you know, when there's, you know, they're scheduling spring ball, hopefully we'll be able to be out there covering the team and seeing what they're doing as well. That's a big hope, but, you know, that's the, the hope, the wish, and the dream. Um, you know, basketball is still going on and baseball is about to start up. And I think USC baseball is going to be good again this year as well. Interesting. Alrighty. That's going to wrap it up for a, a meaty tunnel vision. We had a lot to cover. That's Ryan. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next Sunday. Bye.